See everybody back this evening. Looks like we have a good number here tonight. I encourage you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55 is where our first passage will come from this evening. We're going to talk about subject, obviously, I believe is very important tonight, but I want to preface it by looking at a couple of passages that just give us a principle that we always need to keep in mind. And it would apply to many things, and it's going to apply to what we're going to be talking about this evening. Most of you are familiar with Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, where God, through the prophet Isaiah, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let me ask you something, just to be honest. Have you ever disagreed with God before? Have you ever just read something in the Bible and you don't know why God said that? You don't know why God, when He was making up the truth, made that the truth. And and, and actually, if you had been God, you wouldn't have made that the truth. You would have said something else and set it up some other way. God says in verse 8 to us, my thoughts are not your thoughts. In other words, God is telling you sometimes you're not going to agree with me. God understands that sometimes we're just not going to agree with him. We are going to think different than he thinks. And in fact, if we were to do things our way, it would be different than the way that God says. Because our thoughts are not His thoughts, and our ways are not always His ways. So, this this situation where I disagree with God, and I just don't want to do what He says, I don't think that's the best way. We're told that's going to happen. And that's okay, actually. Verse 8 is okay as long as you have verse 9 in your mind. Because verse 9, God says, that when we disagree, you just need to understand I'm always the one that's right. When you disagree with me, you need to understand that my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are are higher than your thoughts. Now, what does that apply to everything? Okay? Look at another passage with me over in Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2, we have a warning given to us there. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. Paul says there, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So he gives us a warning to be careful that we don't allow anybody to spoil us spiritually. To just mess things up between me and God spiritually. And he tells us that they can spoil us through philosophy. Now philosophy is not a word most of us use in our everyday vocabulary. And it seems like a big word. Well, that's that class I had in school that was all mixed up. A lot of different things I never thought of before. And it becomes this big, don't let it be that to you. The word philosophy just means a view of life. A way of looking at life. So when somebody tells you, for example, when you read the Bible... And the Bible says something, God says something about whatever subject. And somebody says to you, well, I just don't look at it this way. I just don't see it that way. They're telling you, that's not my philosophy. That's not how I look at it. And I promise you, they're about to tell you how they look at it. And what they're about to tell you is their philosophy on that. So what he's really saying to you is here... Don't allow somebody, when you tell them what God says out of the scriptures, to say to you, well, I just don't see it that way. 
And then they're going to tell you how they do see it, which if they don't see it God's way, it's going to be something different, isn't it? It's going to be disagreeing with God and then putting their, their ideas above God's ideas. And he says, don't you listen to that. And the main reason you don't listen to it is because they're not God. God is the one who gets to make up the rules. God is the one who gets to decide what truth is. I don't get to do that. You don't get to do that. And nobody else gets to do that. So don't, don't let somebody mess you up spiritually by telling you how they look at things, how they see things, when it's not the same way that God looks at that same thing. Okay? Now... That, those two verses apply to many, many, actually anything in our life. But I want you to turn with me now over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Because tonight we're going to be talking about what real gospel preaching is. We're going to be talking about how whenever we teach people, we should be teaching people. And I will tell you in the beginning... That many, many, many people disagree with what we're going to say tonight. But I will promise you, I am going to be meticulous. I am not going to give you my opinion because of my opinion, it doesn't matter. My opinion is not important at all. Uh, at home, when we teach Bible class, and especially when I teach the kids, we have several teenagers that they get in a lot of discussions at school. And I've always told them, whenever somebody asks you a question... You better not have as the first words that come out of your mouth, I think. Because what you think doesn't matter. In fact, when you say, I think this, believe me, they think too. And if it's just how you think, what they think is as good as what you think. And another thing I tell them to say is, to not say is, don't ever say, well, my preacher says. Because what your preacher says doesn't matter. Because they have a preacher and he says some things too. What matters is, what does God say? And we're going to be meticulous tonight to talk about it in that, which we should be every time in every lesson, but particularly tonight because there are a lot of people that disagree with him. And it's not just outside the church. It's also inside the church. There are a lot of people who don't agree with what the Bible says about gospel preaching. And they are Christians. And from time to time, that number grows and it grows to where damage is done to the church. And in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4... Verse 3, we are told, they were told back then, that the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Paul is telling Timothy, there are going to be times you're going to go to places and you're just going to teach the truth. You're just going to teach what God says and they will not put up with it. They will not endure you doing that. They're going to run you off. They will get rid of you. And they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And hence the title of our lesson tonight. They will get rid of people who preach the truth. And they will bring in people who will say what they want to hear. And it will be softer and it will be easier. And it will not be something that condemns or confronts or gives them a problem with their conscience. It's just going to be something that tickles their ears and, and makes them feel like they're okay. And verse 4 says that the result of all that is they turn their ears away from the truth. And they turn to fables. Another passage, some other passages in the Bible refer to that as apostasy, falling away. And what happens is when gospel preaching is no longer gospel preaching, you have great falling aways in the Lord's church. People are, are susceptible to false teachings that comes in and apostasy happens and if you go back and you look at the history of the church in this country, just in this country, 
There have been several times when there have been large movements in the Lord's church where great numbers of Christians have actually got, gotten away from the truth and gone off into error. And I've been, been around some of that. But if you talk to people who are a little bit older than us and back in the 50s and 60s and institutionalism and the social gospel and all that was happening, one of the things that is a common theme among people who were there is that the preaching just changed. The preaching was no longer what it should have been. And it got soft and, and, and easy and kind of sugar-coated when it came to the gospel. And what that did was it opened up the church to error and apostasy. Sometimes today, even today, you will find people who have different ideas about gospel preaching than what you find in the Bible. Uh, you will hear people say, well, you just need to preach Jesus. You just need to preach Jesus. And you know, I, I'm not against that, obviously. As long as we understand what preaching Jesus is as far as the Bible tells us. Because that's not what they mean when they say, just preach Jesus. They are saying, just tell us about Jesus. Tell us what a pretty good guy Jesus was. Tell us how he loved all of us and he died for us. And that's it. Just stop right there, okay? Don't go beyond that. Just preach about the person, Jesus. Like, don't get out of the Gospels. Don't go to the book of Acts and talk about a plan of salvation. Don't go to the book of Ephesians and Colossians and talk about the, the organization of the local church and things like that. We're not supposed to offend anybody. The preacher, when he gets up, if when he gets through with his sermon... And somebody is offended in somebody's man. Automatically the preacher did something wrong. That's what a lot of people think. We are not supposed to condemn anything. We're not supposed to say who we're talking about. If we talk about maybe that something is wrong. In fact, we're not even supposed to say somebody is wrong. Even when they are wrong. That's off limits nowadays in a lot of places. We just don't, are not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to, ex to expose false doctrine. Uh, a, cl a class like we had this morning is off limits in a lot of places. You might be surprised to find out I was turned down and, and banned from teaching that in a church not too long ago. Okay? We should only have positive, feel-good lessons all the time. And I'm not opposed to positive, feel-good lessons. But as a nurse, let me tell you, if you eat cotton candy all the time, every day, every meal, you're going to die from that. And that's what will happen if we have cotton candy sermons all the time. I'm not against cotton candy. It's good. And I'm not against sermons and I, I'm not being facetious in saying those kinds of sermons. We need those for our spirit. We need those for encouragement, but you can't have that all the time and come out all right on the other side. The attitudes I just described, let me tell you a couple of things. Number one, they're not new. Those kinds of attitudes are not new. We just read in 2 Timothy 4, where even back in Paul's day, Paul was warning Timothy, listen, if you come with the full gospel, the whole gospel, and you're teaching all the different things in it you need to, they will run you off. They are not going to, to put up with that. They will get rid of you and get somebody in who will only teach the parts that are easy and make you feel good and, and don't challenge you. And let me suggest to you another thing. Those ideas that I just went over, we're going to see tonight, they're not biblical. They're not biblical at all. It is not what you find when you go to the New Testament and, and you see how Jesus taught. And you see how Peter and Paul and Philip and Stephen and all those inspired characters in the New Testament. That is not how they taught. They didn't have that kind of added, the ones that I just described. It was very different. And I want you to understand why this is so important. The wrong kind of teaching leads to apostasy. Okay, the word apostasy just means a falling away. The wrong kind of teaching, a steady diet of the wrong kind of teaching 
will cause people to lose their souls, to fall away from God and be lost. Verse 4 of that passage we were just in just tells us that. We are warned that is the end result of that kind of teaching. Because an ignorant church is vulnerable. An ignorant church is open to false doctrine coming in. And we don't even know how to recognize it as false doctrine, much less how to answer the false teaching. Because we just don't know. Yeah. Some who are older have heard a lot of things that now aren't taught in some places a whole lot. And in a lot of places, the preacher might get up and preach on something and somebody says, well, we, we already know all that. Why in the world is he teaching on that? We already know that. We've heard all this before. But maybe your children haven't. Maybe in the intervening years, some of your children have grown up enough to where they now can understand it and they weren't like that before. And because of that, they don't know that right now. And no generation settles everything for the following generations. It doesn't work that way. Every generation as it comes along has to be taught the foundation, has to be taught the basics of what the gospel is and the information that God wants us to, to know. Every generation has to be taught the truth and has to be warned of the errors that are out there. What I want to do this, this evening is it's going to be kind of a negative sermon. I want to talk about wrong ideas about gospel preaching. And it's ones that I have seen around recently uh, I understand after a couple of lessons this morning, y'all probably in pretty good shape on this, but it's, it's around us and it's going around. And I don't, I, I, I want to talk about the wrong ideas that are floating around, how people are trying to tell preachers, well, this is how you ought to do it. And it's not what the Bible teaches. And these wrong ideas, these wrong attitudes eventually will do the same thing they've done in the past which is leave people to fall away and go off into error. And the first thing I suggest to you is there is this contempt for what I'm going to call the old, old past preaching. Now, the Bible tells us that we don't take anything anybody says just because they say it. For example, if you love your preacher, which I hope you do, you still don't accept what he says just because you love him. And if you don't like your preacher, if it's the other way around, you don't reject what he says just because you don't like him. But what happens is there are people that they don't like the way it used to be taught. That there has to be a new way of presenting things, a new way of teaching things. And in fact, sometimes even new subjects, we don't even want to talk about those subjects anymore. For example, Bible authority. Bible authority, you know, we talk about first principles and what we usually mean is the plan of salvation when we say that. Listen, the most basic principle taught in the Bible is the subject of Bible authority. If you don't get that, you're not going to understand anything in the Bible really and be consistent with it. So when somebody starts saying things like, we have to have book, chapter, and verse for everything we say, everything we do, everything we teach to other people. That's an old saying, and a lot of people don't like that. Do you realize there are preachers getting castigated in some churches because they would even use the phrase book, chapter, and verse and what that stands for, what that means? Bible authority, you teaching uh, Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. You've got to have Bible authority for what you do in religion. 2 John 9, whoever goes onward and doesn't abide or stay in the teaching of Christ, they don't have God. If you go beyond that boundary of the teaching of Christ and you start making up stuff on your own for religion, you don't have God anymore. You have to have authority from God for what you believe and what you do when it comes to religion. A lot of people don't like that kind of teaching anymore. Sometimes when somebody would get up and teach on the church organization, how the church is to be organized. 
and the worship of the church, how the church is supposed to worship and what's not taught in the gospel about the worship of the church. In other words, what do we do when we come together in a service like this? What the church, uh, church's work is. We, we give this money. Well, what's to be done with that money? How is it to be spent? That's the work of the church. People get tired of lessons like that. In fact, you would hear somebody say, well, that's really boring stuff. I would throw in on that, that every major apostasy in the Lord's church, all the big ones, have centered around the organization of the church. Everyone that really swept through the brotherhood and really took a lot of churches away, every one of those was based on an error, a misunderstanding, or just a rejection of what the Bible teaches about the organization of the church. So now let me ask you, how important is that? How boring is it? Well... As far as dry, yeah, it, it can be a little dry. I don't, I really don't know how to make the organization of church exciting. I just don't. I'll just confess to you. And I would just guess that back during the time of Moses, that when the priest came in and he started teaching on Leviticus to them, I can just imagine some people say, oh man, we've got to go through all these rules again. We've heard all this before. But you've got to have those. And the next generation has to have those. And the next generation has to have those. Do you remember in the book of Judges when it talks about there would be a generation that would follow God and the very next generation would not know God, they would not know God's word, and they would go off into error? One generation. Because the one generation that's not taught doesn't know and now is ignorant of God's word and is open to the devil coming in and, and bringing some error in. This contempt for the old preaching that was done 50 years ago and 100 years ago. Listen, by men who knew the Bible. By men who were very studious. Is now frowned upon. Rather than appreciated. And, and learned in many places. I want you to turn with me over to Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6. Now, you have to understand the context. And it's going to be Jeremiah 5 actually to begin with. The context of Jeremiah writing is that the children of Israel are in Babylonian captivity. They are in captivity because they went into apostasy. They left God. They left God's word. They left God's work. They just left God. And I want you to hear as Jeremiah decries, and actually it's God through Jeremiah decrying their situation and where they had ended up. I want you to see what Jeremiah blames for it. So in essence, I want you to see what God blames for through Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 30, he says, A wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. Now that's, in our vernacular, that's kind of contradictory. It's a wonderful good thing and then it's a horrible thing. Well, which one is it? If you've got a footnote in your Bible, that word wonderful there is not used in a good sense. It means an astonishing thing. An amazing thing. The footnote says, an astonishment and a filthiness is committed in the land. That's pretty rough language, isn't it? What is it that's so bad among the children of Israel here? Verse 31. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. The prophets prophesy falsely. They give the priests what the priests want. They get what they want out of it. The prophets get what they want out of it. And what they're teaching is what the people want to hear. Because then they get to do what they want to do. So everybody is happy. Everybody gets what they want out of it. And nobody is offended out of any of this. Except God. And let me tell you, God was highly offended. 
as you keep reading on into chapter 6, in chapter 6, as, as he goes on and he talks about how bad this was, in verses 13 and 14, it says, excuse me, let's, let's back up a little bit. In verse 10, he says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach, and they have no delight in it. People that just telling them what God says is an insult to them. It is a reproach to them, and they have no delight. They don't want to hear that part of what God says. Verse 11, God says, Therefore I am full of the fury of the Lord. I'm weary with holding it in. There's a bad end to this. The judgment of God, and not a good judgment. So what do you do to fix that? Well, listen to what Jeremiah tells them. He says in verse 16, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein. But the people said, We will not walk therein. They just reject it. Down in verse 14, you have a little more information. Verse 13 says, For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed also the herd of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. And, and, and what they were doing is telling the people, Well, you're at peace with God. You're okay doing what you're doing. Now, they were doing wrong. But the priests were telling him, you're okay doing that. You can just keep on doing that and be at peace with God. And God says, no, there is no peace in this situation. And he tells them that, that they are going to be severely punished for what they are doing. And the point of all that is this. We need to at least respect those who have come before us. We have no idea how much they went through and the battles that they fought to stand up for God and His Word, His truth. And I will tell you this. It used to be younger preachers got talked about and then older preachers got talked about and then I found out, well, all preachers get talked about, okay? So it doesn't matter if you're young. I've never found that in-between time where you're not too young or too old, Okay? But, but it seems like everybody wants some young, very dynamic preacher. And that's okay. I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of good, young, dynamic preachers out there right now that really teach God's Word the way they should. But sometimes there's a lot of disrespect to people who are older. And how many verses are there in the Bible that tell us we are to respect the hoary head? And that, that includes preachers and their preaching, as, just like everything else with older people. Advice and wisdom and, and, and understanding and things like that. Now again, just because an old preacher says something, that doesn't make it right. But at least give the person the benefit of the doubt that you should at least check it and see if that's what God's Word says. Before you reject that. There's a lot of that old teaching. Listen. The reason you're here tonight. In a good faithful church. That belongs to the Lord. That really is a church that is of Christ. Is because of that old teaching that was done a long time ago. Okay. So don't refuse that kind of teaching just offhand. Because there's newer stuff out there. Another thing that we need to realize is that there are people who corrupt the gospel. They would make the gospel more than what it is or make it less than what it is. And they just kind of manipulate it to be what they want it to be. There has been a movement for a long time to make the gospel be some kind of social or political kind of thing. And in fact, if you were to listen to a lot of the speeches that the politicians give when they're running for office, 
what you would notice if you were to look is that a lot of those speeches are given from pulpits of church buildings. In other words, the churches are becoming involved in politics and they take political stances and not just on morals, but on candidates and things like that, even though that's, they're not supposed to do that. And you have people that, that I, I remember seeing letters going into the newspaper. There would be some tragedy, some famine somewhere, and that the churches are supposed to take care. They're supposed to be the, the, the international welfare society of the world. And so they would take the church off into things that God didn't teach. Well, what that does is it diverts the church from the real mission of the church that God has given. And then as we talked about some this morning, they would, there are some that would make the gospel less than what it is. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we looked at this morning where Paul says that first of all, he taught of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And there are people right now saying, well, that's all there is to the gospel. Just the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That that's all there is. That's the whole deal right there. And all the commandments, all the other things that we find in the New Testament, that's not the gospel. Just the story of Jesus, that's the gospel. Now, this morning in our class, what we noticed was that even in that same passage in verse 3, Paul says, first of all, I told you about this. And what that means is there's a second of all, and a third of all, and a fourth of all. There is more to it than that. The story of Jesus and His death, burial, and resurrection is the foundation of it all. That's where it all begins. But there is more to the gospel than that. The commandments are also part of the gospel. The instruction and the teaching in the gospels and in the epistles, those are part of the gospel too. Let me show that to you. Look over in Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 16, a little simple statement is made there. He says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Okay, now there's a statement there about obeying the gospel. So let me ask you something. What are they obeying? If the only thing to the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, what that's saying is that they have not obeyed the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to obey the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Let me ask you, how do you do that? How do you obey the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? That's illogical. That doesn't even make sense. What you obey is commandments. The commandments of the gospel, like repent and be baptized for the mission of your sins and all those kinds of commandments. And all the others about the church and how we are to be in our lives. Those things are the gospel also. And we need to understand that the whole New Testament, the whole New Testament, all the teaching, all the commandments there, those constitute the gospel. That we are to believe and that we are to obey. And we need to preach the whole gospel and we need to listen to the whole gospel and understand that the whole New Testament is the gospel. Let me suggest you another thing. There is a lot of talk going around in some places about getting away from teaching obedience. We're too hard. We're too hardcore for a lot of people. Now, This morning when we began our Bible class, we went through quite a few passages about obedience where we see that obedience is demanded from us in order to be saved. That Jesus is going to save those that obey him. And yet there are a lot of people, and again, it's making a run through the church that we just don't need to be pushing obedience anymore. That's just too hard. That's going to make people mad. It's going to offend people. And we need just to to back off the obedience thing. And I want to look at one verse with you. There's some others that I've got here. And we we looked at some others this morning. Uh, Romans 6 is a real good passage for you to go to about about being raised to walk in newness of life. And the rest of that chapter talks about obedience. But I just want to look at one with you. And that's over in 1 John chapter 3. Okay, first John chapter three, and this is not one we usually bring up a lot of times. You don't hear it a lot, but this is my favorite verse on this. First John chapter three and verse seven. He says, little children, let no man deceive you. Now I want you to stop right there. 
When you hear that, a bell ought to go off in your head. A warning bell. Anytime you hear a phrase like, don't be deceived, don't deceive yourself, don't let anybody else deceive you, a bell ought to go off in your head. A warning bell that says to you, I better slow down on this one. I better not skip over it. I better make sure I get the point. Because with that kind of warning, what I realize is that whatever he's talking about is something that a lot of people get deceived about. Remember he says, be not deceived. Evil companionships corrupt good morals. When I read it, I need to stop and slow down and realize, well, I'm very susceptible to thinking I can hang out with these people and they won't affect me. He says, you're fooling yourself. Don't be deceived. Evil companionships will corrupt your good morals. So again, a bell should go off and let me know that whatever's being talked about here in verse 7, I need to make sure I get the point. Okay, so what does he say? He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. There's an underlying question that I want you to look at that. See, can you see the underlying question in that verse? The underlying question in that verse would be, who is right with God? Who's right with God? Who is righteous? Who is right with God? They're okay with God. If they died today, they would get to go to heaven. Who is right with God? The first thing he answers is, don't fool yourself on that question. Make sure that somebody doesn't fool you about that. Because here is the answer. He that doeth righteousness is righteous. The one who does what is right is right with God. That's who's right with God. The one who does what is right, that is a person who is right with God. And then he says, even as he is righteous. And I'm going to suggest to you that's talking about the Lord. And so I would ask you, why was Jesus right with the Father? He tells us in one verse, he says, because I always do those things that please him. Jesus was right because he did what was right. And if we're going to be right with God, it's going to be because we do what's right. We obey God. Now, when I don't, when I sin, what is doing what's right? It is repenting and getting that straightened out with God so I can be right with God again. But don't let anybody fool you. There are a lot of doctrines out there that would tell you this. You can do what's wrong and still be right with God. Let me say that again. There are a lot of people out there that will tell you, you can do what's wrong and still be right with God. And there's a lot of different ways, a lot of whole doctrines that they've come up with to explain how you can do what's wrong and still be right with God. And the warning is right there in 1 John 3, 7. Don't you let them fool you about that. Because that's not the way it is. Okay? And the last thing I want to talk to you about is negative preaching. Okay? You know, negative preaching is just negative, isn't it? It's kind of a downer sometimes. And so there are a lot of people out there that don't want negative preaching. They want only positive, feel-good sermons. Don't teach against anything because that would be negative. Don't say that something's wrong. Don't say that somebody is wrong. Don't say anything that might offend somebody. And you certainly don't teach something that might apply to somebody in your audience because then they're really taking a chance on offending somebody. In Matthew chapter 15... In Matthew chapter 15, there in verse 12, the disciples came to Jesus and they were very concerned about something. Matthew 12, verse 15, the disciples come to Jesus and they say to, to him, don't you know, excuse me, Matthew 15 and verse 12, okay? Matthew chapter 15, there in verse 12, they come to Jesus and they say, knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? They come to Jesus and say, wait a minute, do, do you realize you offended the Pharisees? And he had offended the Pharisees. And I don't, I just want you to notice that Jesus didn't get shook up about that. Jesus did not all of a sudden jump up, well, I've got to go apologize to them because I offended them. 
In fact, what he said to them was, every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Just leave them alone. My Father will take care of them down the road. If by preaching the truth he offended them, Jesus was not concerned about that. If you remember the parable of the sower... You have the sower, the seed, and the four grounds. The four grounds represent people. Different kinds of hearts that people have. And when you read through the parable, and then you see Jesus' explanation of the parable, the problem was not with the sower, and the problem was not with the seed. The problem was with the hearers. And sometimes, and this may be a preacher pet peeve, I don't know, but sometimes I just wish that people who would lay so much responsibility on a preacher because he didn't do everything just perfect, which nobody does. I just wish they would understand how much responsibility they have as hearers. Yes, I have a responsibility to try to say things, the right things in the right way, the best that I know how. But everybody sitting in an audience has a responsibility to hear the right things and hear them in the right way, hear them with the right attitude, just as much as the person up here. You have to have a good heart. And I will tell you again, nobody teaches perfect. Nobody does everything just right in teaching. But if you look at the parable of the sower, let me tell you what will happen. I'll tell you two two things that will happen. Number one, if you find a person that is the good ground and you give them the truth. And you might make a mistake here and there. You might make a grammatical error. You might not use real good English all the time because you're from Texas or wherever, okay? But if you put the truth in a good heart, I promise you, you'll end up with a Christian. Conversely to that, if it's one of the other three grounds, you know, people like to blame the preacher because so-and-so wasn't converted. I promise you, if you have a person who's one of the other three grounds, it doesn't matter how sweetly, how nicely, how politely you tell them the truth, you will not end up with a Christian. Because their heart's not right. They don't want the truth. And you're not going to convert them no matter what you do. If the truth offends somebody, let me ask you, really, really, who has the problem? If teaching the truth offends somebody, you take the Bible, you show them, here it is right here. If that offends a person, who has the problem? And I would suggest to you that it's not the teacher. When you go to the Bible, you go just go to the Old Testament, you go to the New Testament. And you hear people, you see people teaching the Word of God. What do you see? Well, you see a lot of people responding to it. In the New Testament, a lot of people respond to it and become Christians. But you also see a lot of offended people. When Jesus taught... And he talked about the things that he was bringing when he brought grace and truth. And he talked about the Pharisees. They got really offended by that. I'd like for you to go over to Matthew 23 with me. Just bear with me just for a minute and notice some of these things. In Matthew chapter 23, you want to talk about tough teaching. Jesus was tough on these people. Now... Whenever you start talking about, let me, let me deal with one thing first. Whenever you start talking about the Pharisees, there's a lot of people like to throw, throw out this, well, you're a Pharisee. And usually you hear that when you say you have to obey God. Well, you're a Pharisee. And that's legalism. And you're a Pharisee because you're teaching people they have to obey the Bible. Let me, let me tell you, that's not what the problem with the Pharisees was. The, the problem with the Pharisees was not that they taught and demanded obedience. In fact, in Matthew 23, verse 2, Jesus says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. Why? Because they sit in Moses' seat. They are telling you what the law of Moses is. It is not bad to be a Pharisee and teach the law of Moses. That's their law. They were supposed to do those things. 
And Jesus never got on the Pharisees for teaching and demanding obedience. So somebody that today, if you say, well, you got to obey to get to heaven, and they throw out the, the term Pharisee, they, they don't even know what the deal was with Pharisees. The problem with the Pharisees was hypocrisy. They demanded obedience of others and they refused to obey themselves. And all through Matthew chapter 23, Jesus calls them out on that. He says, you're a, you rob widows' houses. He says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. And when you get a hold of a person, you start teaching them, they end up being twofold more the child of hell than when you began with them. They are worse off than better, rather than better off when you get through with them. He says inside, you're like a, a tomb with a body's been laid in there and the bones are all rotten. You're, you're rotten inside. And you want to talk about tough teaching? He gets down to about verse 33. He says, you know what y'all are? Y'all are a bunch of snakes. You're a generation of vipers. And not only you, your daddy and your granddaddy were too. Now that's pretty tough, isn't it? He offended them and they were offended. You read what Peter taught people in Acts 2 and Acts 3. He tells them, you, you're a murderers of the Son of God. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen tells them, you're like the Gentiles. You are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Paul even struck a person blind one time for opposing the gospel. You think that man was offended when he couldn't see anymore? And they killed Jesus. And they killed Stephen. And they killed Peter. And they killed Paul. Listen. In the New Testament. When inspired men. Okay now understand what I'm saying. That when men who were led by God. To teach what they were teaching. And how they were teaching it. When they did what God wanted them to do. A lot of people wanted to kill them. A lot of people wanted to kill them, and they did. Now, how does that stack up with some people's philosophy today? Their way of looking at gospel preaching when you're not supposed to offend anybody. Nobody should ever get mad at one of our lessons. It doesn't fit, does it? Whenever we go to the gospel, we find out that we are to contend for the faith. Jude verse 3. Contend. That comes from the word contention. That means you've got a problem with somebody else and they don't like it. They are saying something and you are answering them. You're disputing with them. You are arguing with them. You are contending with a real person with a real face, real ideas, and they really don't like you for doing that. And we are told that that is part of the common salvation. Okay? Go with me now over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And whenever we have ideas about what gospel preaching should be like and what our preachers should do, I hope you'll always remember this. This is God's inspired commandment on how to preach the gospel. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I charge you therefore... Before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead is appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. What part of all of it? Preach the word. Preach the word. Don't leave anything out of it. Don't add anything to it. Just preach the word. And listen to what he says. Be instant. Do we know what instant? Instant oatmeal, instant water, instant coffee. It's right now. When it's needed, right now. Be instant in season and out of season. Well, what does that mean? Well, let me give you an example. If I come up here next week, or I don't know when your season is up here. Let's say last month I came up here and I went out in the woods and I killed me a great big old buck. Would that be all right? Not if I get caught, would it? Because it's out of season. It's not okay to do that then. But a couple of months from now, I could probably come up here as long as I get my license and I meet all the legal requirements. I could go hunting with somebody who might give me an invitation to hunt and go kill a buck. And it's okay because it's in season. I won't get in trouble for that at all. Listen, sometimes for preachers, 
they get up in a pulpit and they preach to a church and it's out of season. I mean, it's way out of season. They don't want to hear it. And in that situation, he says, you preach the word. You do it anyway. You do it whether they want to hear it or not. You preach the word. But hopefully it is in season. Hopefully that is what brethren want to hear. And you preach the word. Good or bad. Whether they like it or not. In season or out of season. You preach the word. And let me make a couple of comments about that. If you look at verse 1. In the language in verse 1. What I hope you will easily see is this is a commandment. It is not a suggestion. It's not I hope you'll do it from God. It is a commandment from God. Which means this. If your preacher knows that he should be teaching on something and he won't do it because of what might happen to him because of what your reaction may be, he will go to hell for that. That's pretty strong, isn't it? But it's the truth. And so what I would say to you is don't make it hard on your preacher to teach the truth. You make it a lot easier on me if you demand the truth from him. We want to know what God says on this. And let me suggest to you one other thing. Later in this chapter, the Apostle Paul talks about having to withstand and contend with a man named Alexander who was a coppersmith. And one of the saddest things I've ever found in the Bible is he says he had to do it all by himself. At my first answer, no man stood with me. No, the Lord did, but nobody else. Now, you may not be the preacher. You may not know as much as he does. And it's his job. He's the one there and he can do the job. That's good. But back him up. Let him know that you are behind him. You are with him. Do not be sitting on the sidelines like Elijah told the people. How long halt you between two opinions? How long is it going to take you to make up your mind? Choose. Do not let your preacher stand alone. Let me tell you why. Another statement in that verse is, he says, I pray that God won't hold it against them. You have a responsibility to stand with those who stand for the truth and vocally let it be known that you stand with them. When the preaching is not what it's supposed to be because people refuse to endure it, the church is going to go off into error sooner or later. That's what's going to happen. Now listen, you can't solve all the problems in all the other churches out there. But you can take care of this church. The elders, the members, the preacher, y'all can take care of this church and make sure that the teaching is what it's supposed to be from now on. Now, if you're here this evening and you're not a child of God, what Jesus said was, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that, I hope you'll think about your soul's condition tonight. I know it's been a long sermon, but the water's still back there. And if you need to obey the gospel, we'd love to help you do that. If you need to, come and let us know while together we stand and while we sing.